Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, my friend, this is one of the last times we will be winding up for the year. We're going to be pre-recording a bunch of stuff, but you're done for Christmas very, very soon, aren't you? Don't remind me, man. That's like so <laughs> crazy. Like, this is my last full week, more or less. You know, I've got four it days. Is, isn't it? I've got a half day on Friday, a half day on Monday. And that's me done until after Christmas. I'm incredibly lucky. Cannot wait. Miss, miss you, got, a, got a, a date with the chief. I'm going to miss you too. Got a massive date with the chief. I hear that the chief is arriving on Wednesday unless you manage to tickle his ivories at midnight on the Tuesday night. Christmas is just, just kicking off left, right and centre. So it's, we're going to do a couple of pre-records um, for next week. We might be able to squeeze one in the week after that. I don't know. We're going to see how we go. But we it do have the wind-up for this week, the show where we sort of tackle whatever the latest stories are in the gaming industry, whatever the latest games are, whatever we also just want to talk about. Sometimes there's something that just needs to be talked about for this week we thought we'd talk about the uh, sony spartacus service which is a hilarious name um for their apparent answer to game pass that's got leaked by bloomberg and uh, by mr jason schreier because who else to be honest if it's not him <laughs> if it's not the farmer it's got to be just uh, jason schreier so um <laughs> so this got leaked um apparently sony are working some working on something to drop across 2022 and at the minute it's codenamed spartacus it is meant to be their answer to xbox's game pass um and it's said that higher tiers of the service assumedly it will be a monthly subscription thing Thing. Higher tiers would include PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3, and PlayStation Portable games as Sony will move to phase out PlayStation now. Um, what's your, what was your immediate reaction to this uh, before we pick some bits of it apart? My immediate reaction was, I can't believe this has dropped at half past six on a Friday when we're not <laughs> at work anymore and we can't cover it because that's how all news works, apparently. But my immediate reaction after that... Um, was just kind of excitement because I wanted Sony to do this for a long, long time. And it feels like they're definitely playing catch up, but I'm pleased they're not just kind of sticking to their guns for no reason to push mm. on with PS now as it is now and to not take the competition directly to Microsoft because Game Pass is so good. Game Pass is a great system mm. and I love it, man. Like it's, <laughs> it's really excelled uh, the Xbox Series X as a console. I'm really enjoying it. And I quite like PS now, but it just can't compete like, the streaming part of PS Now especially I hope that's phased out I want mm. things to be fully downloadable if we do go into the service but yeah uh, the fact that I think it was spring 2022 yes. was the proposed launch date for it like I want them to get this out as soon as possible but I'm I'm more want them to get it right the thing is for me it feels like they're sort of looking at what Nintendo do because like on Xbox side of things obviously they're you know it's Jason's report and everything but he is mentioning the higher tier stuff PS1 PS2 old school games for the most part Xbox 
Xbox keep those things separate. Like occasionally you'll get like a, an older game as like part of Game Pass, but they're usually their backwards compatible stuff as a separate wing of the company for the most part, or the separate wing of the marketing than something that gets included in Game Pass. And I also kind of wonder like how much that's Xbox just going like, well, you know, we only have so many titles that we can sort of lean on. Like the likes of the Fable series is available on backwards compatible, but they've remade Gears of War, they've remade Halo. Um, and it's one of those things where like, I would like Xbox to have more confidence in their history and like pick up random things like, um, you know, Mad Dash Racing or whatever you need to get, get your hands on. Um, to say, like, this is Xbox, we have a history, we're going to give you this monthly service with everything on it. But in Sony's case, obviously, they have that legacy writ large and they can literally go... Um, I mean, we covered this... Um, it's been many years of, like, different rumors surrounding this kind of thing. We talked about this in the run-up to the PlayStation 5. There was a rumor doing the rounds a couple of yes. years ago, three years ago, um, that Sony were planning this system that would... It was something Mark Cerny said about it was, like, a capable of playing or emulating these old systems. Um, and I wonder, in regards to that, then, you know, applying that to a monthly model, whether they do like, you know, it's PlayStation 1 month and then it's, oh, it's PlayStation 2 months coming in a couple of months. Or they do like franchise based or whether they literally just give you an archive of the entire PlayStation, of everything PlayStation for some crazy premium fee. Yeah. Um, and then just go from there because it seems like Sony are Sony love to look at the competition and go, well, what can we do that's a mix of what they're doing? And I wonder if they just combine Game Pass with Switch Online. Because um, Nintendo's thing is, here's Mario 64, here's Mario Tennis. Yeah. We don't have anything new that we want to give you as part of this monthly thing. So here's the old stuff. Well, this is like my head cannon, of course, but I, I like the idea. I would also Mark say, says... sorry, that I, I completely inhaled a flapjack before doing this podcast, and I'm very Did much on really? a sugar high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a coffee <laughs> right now. It's just, it's three o'clock in the afternoon, but carry on. That's the best way to do it, man. I had a Greg's festive bake, and now I think I'm done for the day. Like, it wasn't that festive, though, was it? You, you had one of them, and it wasn't. It didn't seem it to was, lift your spirits. It was cold. My lovely girlfriend oh. went out to Greg's on her day off to get me a festive bake, <laughs> and unfortunately, was cold. Bless her heart. And um, what were we saying? Oh yes, in my head cannon, I like yes. to think Mark Cerny is like was at least you know all for like the backwards compat thing. But obviously, your friend and mine, Jim Ryan, was out there being like, <laughs> "Here, man." Nobody wants to play old games. Nobody wants we... to play the original Gran Turismo. What do you mean it's on a monthly service? Right then, fine. <laughs> I'll get over here then, shall I? Oh, exactly. He was doing all that. And then obviously now I think the success of Game Pass has just made it so clear that it, that it is viable and people do want to play those old games because I, similar to you, one of the biggest um, disappointments I always have is when Xbox announces um, more backwards compatible games <laughs> and I get all excited and then realize they're not coming to Game Pass as well because if they put all oh. of those games on Game Pass, that would be sick. You know, if they put Max Payne 3 on Game Pass, if they mm -hmm. put the other Max Payne games on Game Pass, you know, all of the other games that they've announced for backwards compat, I think like they need to merge those worlds a little bit more. And I hope this Spartacus service does that because like you mm. said, Sony has this vast library of titles that they're just sitting on, not doing anything with. Like, you can get some overpriced ports like the Ninja Gaiden collection or the uh, Ultimate Alliance collection and stuff, but those things should be more accessible inside a service like this. In the thing opinion. is, like, I wonder how much, because the whole thing with, like, like, like you just mentioned, like, you know, the Xbox went out there and secured a whole bunch of different games from Lego Lord of the Rings to Manhunt to Advent Rising and whatever, but not all of them, one, not all of them are available on digital and the likes of Lego Lord of the Rings, you need to go out and get an actual physical disc. They're not selling you the, the version of it through the digital store. That was like a weird yes. wrinkle to some of these things because the deals that they've they've had to go back and do with these all these individual publishers mean that they are saying okay you can sell the game again we've re we've, we've renegotiated the songs or whatever it is um but for whatever reason in those original contracts they can't put them on the digital store um but their whole approach like i mean i have to imagine if you're a publisher sitting no 
knowing that this is the future of games, then all these individual deals all need to be drawn up again. And uh, someone like Square Enix or, you know, Ubisoft, Activision, whoever it is, are going to start wanting more money for these things. Because all those individual games that you can buy on the Xbox Store come with a premium price tag. Uh, Or not necessarily premium in in regards to a 60 60 pounds or 50 pounds, but they're about 15 quid. And it's like... These games are old. Like, I mean, it's not they're not worth £15 overall, but you, if there's any inbuilt assumption that the price has gone down over time, it hasn't. They're not just on there for two, three pounds. These are deals renegotiated with publishers, and they are saying, okay, we'll do this, but you are going to pay a lot of money, um, or you know, a decent amount of money um, to get this. I'm saying this as someone who has put about £100 into the recent amount of <laughs> uh, backwards compatible stuff, because I just want everything. I want the Max Payne games. I want Manhunt. I want Advent Rising. I want all of it. And why wouldn't you, man? I think that's I know. Like, just like incredible. I'm really fascinated by the economics of a system mm. like Game Pass and backwards compatibility, kind of like what you touched on there. You know, we don't know right now how profitable necessarily Game Pass is. We know <laughs> it's been successful in terms of um, getting a lot of subscribers. I think there's like just near 20 million subscribers right mm. now, which is pretty good. That's just growing and going to continue to grow. But we don't know things like how much a developer gets paid to put mm. their game immediately on Game Pass, for instance. I think Outriders was one of the games that went straight to Game Pass at launch. Mm. And for me, I kind of need to know more about that side of things. I'm kind of going off, going off on a tangent at the moment. Because, you know, you take something like Spotify. Spotify is a service that I pay for and I use every single day, hours upon hours upon hours. But, like, the truth is, like, Spotify doesn't pay very well for its streams. And it's not really financially viable for a lot of artists, especially, you know, um, smaller artists, to get paid by that service. And I just need to know what the model is for kind of the equivalent of you know smaller developers indie developers how much are they getting paid is it a good deal mm-hmm. um in stuff like that so there's a lot of stuff to consider on that side of things I no think. but that that brings my point back in as well because the reason yeah. sing, uh, the reason that spotify's numbers are so terrible is largely because of the music industry as it is like a lot of the those yeah. individual um you know record labels are charged uh, will want a ludicrous amount of money and i kind of wonder um if that's also the way that the gaming side of things goes too and also it is quite telling that like part of the report did focus on ostensibly backwards compatible stuff but merged the line with a monthly subscription service because that is a way more of a nintendo model that's not what game pass is game pass is yeah you know a, a monthly model that gives you uh premium new releases as part of a monthly model um which i guess that's just a sheer curiosity thing whether that is what sony want to explore and um, whether something is coming to game pass day one and, and also coming to spartacus day one um or whether they are literally because the way the report rolls out saying that you know they they want to find a way to offer you um you know the legacy of playstation for a monthly fee and whether that I'll be something that they then say, oh, well, Tekken 3 is coming in November or whatever. And that's the thing that they rotate through. Yeah, I mean, if you look at PS Now, now, mm. you know, they've done pretty well to amass a pretty good collection of PlayStation 4 games, especially in PlayStation 3 games. But obviously, when you go further back than that, it's a, it's a little bit hit or miss. The experiences aren't all that great. All yeah, I do kind well. of. Yeah, totally. And I, I do want them to find a kind of, yeah, bridge the gap between the Game Pass model and I guess the Nintendo model to do something that is that benefits everyone for mm-hmm. people who want to buy into a script subscription to get newer games more reliably without having to invest, you know, 70 pounds into something. And I think the report said that PS5 games would come eventually, but they're not going to do the Game Pass thing of having, you know, The Last of Us 3 on day one because that would go entirely against their 70 pounds you will pay for this. <laughs> model but yes. you know until that point 
avoid having a consistent stream of new third third party releases alongside um, backwards compatible PS2 releases or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a they could they could build a good system. Just uh, they've tried it before with PS Now. They've tried yes. it before with remember that um, the PS4 collection that came with the PlayStation Five. Oh which, yes, which is the PlayStation was good, but yeah. could have been expanded upon. Could have being more than it was you know what i mean i just mm-hmm. hope they go hope if they do it they whole asset and don't just well, that, half-ass it that thing about that i forgot they made that whole statement about it you know we think that playstation 5 games are worth 70 pounds and then the yeah. average consumer has went well we don't we'll give it a few months until the edge gets taken off um, and obviously some stuff has still succeeded um despite that the likes of spider-man or whatever but the likes of returnal had a very slow uptake on its sales and i think it took a long time before that sort of settled in um, and something like this uh, if they do chase the game pass model i.e you know any first party playstation exclusive is on spartacus for i don't know two weeks or a month or forever xbox's approach is just everything is on there regardless um, and it's interesting just to throw one quick thing in that you said about like you know is it actually profitable the word that phil spencer has used is sustainable i think when he was mm. pushed he said it was profitable but he said it was it was always down to individual deals that have been made. Um, and someone like Rockstar, I remember when they put Red Dead Redemption 2 on Game Pass, I'm sure it was only on there for two weeks. It was maybe a month. Um, but that felt like them sort of putting it on, we'll test the waters, we'll see what this is like. Um, and then Xbox getting to benefit from, you know, Red Dead Redemption 2 or, um, you know, GCA 5 or whatever is on Game Pass. And then immediately it's taken off again because those profit margins either aren't big enough per publisher or they're just not big enough overall. But like, it is one of those things that just sort of like meet out in terms of if your avatar yourself as a premium service like what even is a first party exclusive um you know if it is tied to a a monthly service i think you know financially um playstation well sony but especially the playstation division right now is Mm. probably in the best um position to launch a service like this because they they made a lot of money and at this point in time they can afford to take a loss in the subscription at least at launch before Mm. all of the subscribers get in it's not like you know eight years ago or 10 years ago, whatever, when it felt like PlayStation was fighting tooth and nail to keep the entire <laughs> company afloat. You know, they have uh-huh. money, they have resources to throw around. So why not start building that now? We're at the start of a new generation. If you can get people to want to buy a PlayStation 5, not just for the games, but for this service, like, yeah, cool. Mm. I think for me, it's, it's I'm very curious on like where we are now. It's like you have a lot of you know classic PlayStation games. I just my mind goes to the, the Tony, Tony Hawk's. Like Activision took that and they were like, we'd rather remake this than put mm-hmm. the original games out as a port. And like I said, that's going to be on Sony to go back to all those individual publishers, negotiate deals, and um, talk about the potential of remakes. Would you guys rather remake it? And um, maybe they have already have something in motion and negotiate all that stuff. And um, there's a really illuminating interview with and I forget the name of the guy, but it's the head of the backwards compatibility division over. Our um, from Xbox talking on uh, Nextlander, which is the um, the sort of spin-off um, venture that came from Giant Bomb. It's some of the three main presenters right. that used to be on Giant Bomb doing their own thing. And the way that dude lays out the reality of what they go through for each individual title, um, it's ludicrous. Like the amount of playtesting they have to do and they pay for all of it. Xbox saw all of it out um, because the publishers aren't going to want to pay for, you know, reigniting all their ancient servers or whatever it is. Um, and making sure that all these games work, they have to playtest everything, they have to negotiate the monetary side of it, they have to relicense all the different songs, um, or whatever it is, whatever parts of music, they have to look at all those original contracts. Um, it's a Herculean effort to put it all together. Like, it genuinely feels ludicrous as an undertaking. And part of me doesn't feel like Sony would do that. I feel like, you know, they would do this deal for their first party stuff because they don't have to worry too much about it. But I think when it comes to going wider and getting older PlayStation games like the Resident Evils or Final Fantasies, they either wouldn't do the work or, um, you know, those publishers would just say, oh, so people care about this, do they? Oh, right, cool. We'll we'll put that out and we'll charge money for it. 
<laughs> Listen, I'm a fan of the PS5. I'm a fan of Sony's first-party games. You know, love all of that stuff. Couldn't get enough but of PlayStation it... TV. <laughs> this is what I'm going to segue into, Scott, my friend. Um, but when it comes to Sony and their services and their kind of peripherals and their the things that don't drive the company's profits, mm. they just forget about them. Like PlayStation yes. TV, forgotten about. The PlayStation Vita, forgotten about. You know, ray tracing, largely now, forgotten about. Yeah. <laughs> hey, pack that in. <laughs> ray tracing, good. One good thing they did. But it's a good all... thing, but in terms of a thing that they really put lots of stock into, it is gone. It was a thing at launch, <laughs> and that's it. It might come back. Who knows? The point is, though, you're right. Uh, they, have, they have all of this stuff where they kind of like throw it out there. And they're like, do you want it? And people go, why should we want it? And they go, I don't know. I'm not going to do any work. I'm not going to do anything <laughs> to make you want it. It's just it's just there. You can have it if you want. And I just oh. hope they don't take that approach to this. They've, they've definitely tried more than they usually do with PlayStation now. You know, they reinvented it. They offered uh, PlayStation 5 games. Mm. They added in downloads. Obviously, that wasn't enough. So I just hope they take the lessons from that service and like I said, just commit to something long term and don't just abandon it when it doesn't instantly make money. My gut says that this is them ostensibly doing a Nintendo. I said to you before we started recording that Nintendo, they don't care. Like they'll put whatever lovable properties yeah. they have out over and over and over again. Mario 64 got a release twice in the same half a year. Like there was one version in the All-Stars collection and there was another one as part of the Nintendo Switch Online service. And I think they look at that and go, oh, so we can do this. We can take our old titles and we can just put them out again uh, multiple times. And it will, it will just work, quote unquote, um, yeah. because people love these games just that much. Like you can sort of double dip on them. You can make them available in multiple ways. Um, yeah, it makes me very curious. I think at the minute it sounds more like a backwards compatibility monthly service, which I would pay for. I pay for that stupid Switch Online thing. Um, <laughs> loving Mario Tennis, to be honest, game of the year 2021. But, but other than that, it's not worth the money at all. Um, and I kind of wonder if that is more the thing that they're chasing. Because um, if they double down on this in the Game Pass sense, then the idea of a premium new release almost goes away. Because what even is yeah. that at this point? Um, even exclusives will be part of a monthly service. Um, and for me, this is a separate point too, but I am forever curious what completion stats are for Game Pass users. Uh, I put it that the only thing I have in regards to data is putting a tweet out. And it was three quarters of people didn't finish the games that they tried on Game Pass, but obviously they were thankful to be able to try as many games as possible. But my go-to is that if you don't spend money on something, especially in a game, a premium price point, you're not incentivized to finish it. And I wonder how much that also has a knock-on effect on changing the industry, changing the way that games are designed, stories are yeah. told, everything else. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to hard to comment on this because it's funny, mm. Scott. When I, when, I, when I first started doing this job, right, I, I, I made a pledge. I was like, I'm going to remember exactly what it was like to not have a job and try <laughs> to, like be into video games and not be able to buy all the video games and how that would affect important. me and stuff yeah it, it, it is it is and i've tried to hold on to that but i guess the reality is at this point you know when we're lucky enough to to have this job we're lucky enough mm -hmm. to get free free games truthfully that kind of value thing kind of like goes out the window you know i i download a lot of games and i don't necessarily treat them different to ones that i've bought you know in mm -hmm. terms of one that we've gotten free or ones that i've gotten on xbox and stuff but yeah i do think you're right you know to to a lot of players it's going to be a kind of value thing of well i've bought this game i've spent a lot of money on it you know i'm going to want to rinse it dry whereas opposed to game pass when you can just like try everything mm -hmm. and then you're not um you don't there's no commitment there you know you can just bounce straight off if you don't want to and that has its pros and 
cons because I think then at the same time you get people who try things and if, even if they put four games down out of five they downloaded, mm-hmm. that one that they stick to might be something they would have never bought in the first place. I've certainly had that experience before mm-hmm. where I might not have bought this game full price, but it was there. I thought the cover looked cool. I've downloaded it. Suddenly is my game of the year or whatever. Maybe not that far, but you know what I mean. That, you know, no, no, totally. That's... Frozen. Yeah, that's one of the the best positives or most like standout positives is that it gets these games in front of people in a way that that a price point, you know, would have made them not bother. Something like Unpacking is a perfect Game Pass game Um, and it's a very nice little story and it it works very well as something you can just dip into. Um, But yeah, I think think it's an interesting thing going forward. For me, it spirals off into a million different talking points or or thought processes in regards to how it changes the way games are made, the way stories are told, the way uh, games front load their best moments, the reality of the publishing whim side of it where it's like, well, just make sure the first half is sorted and people are only going to play that anyway so it doesn't it doesn't necessarily matter the way something like recall came out where the whole back half of back half of it was barely rendered because they only finished the first half <laughs> and it's like well we can just prioritize that because you know people aren't going to get there anyway i just i'm i'm curious about all that stuff and i think it is very interesting sony sort of um planting the seeds for it inadvertently um because obviously the story was leaked but i guess we'll see how it uh, it rolls out in regards to other stuff are going on though the newest bioshock has now had more details from mr colin Mariano over on Sacred Symbols. Um, now, this was something that he talked about a few weeks ago. He said he was, uh, he knew it was coming together. He was talking to some of his developer friends and he said he would follow up um, when he knew more about it. So he's done exactly that, um, detailing some stuff. That is a follow-up to last week's news video. We did a little video over on the YouTube channel and the audio should be somewhere on this feed at some point too. Um, but he said um, that as far as he knows, and this is backed up by VGC as well, um, that the next Bioshock is set in a 1960s fictional Antarctic city called Borealis or Borealis or whatever you you call it the name of the thing in the space i've had a flap chat you know the thing that moves around <laughs> you're green. right yeah that thing it's a it's an it's a borealis not an aura borealis but a borealis um this is apparently also linked to older bioshock games but there's nothing any more any more specific than that and um, he does note that the uh, the team overall are very locked down information on the project is very very thin and um, but they are targeting a 2022 release day um oh. and to bring wider information in this does tie in with the game awards and jeff Keighley saying that he's gearing up to announce something that's been in development for two and a half years and uh, we said this on the news video but that does line up with when cloud chamber were formed which are the new developer putting this together um last thing to mention is that cloud chamber are made up of old bioshock veterans from one two and and infinite itself um including jonathan pelling who i looked up as the design director for bioshock infinite and there's the original level designer hoagie de la plant which is a phenomenal name and art director of bioshock one and infinite scott sinclair so all them are part of cloud chamber so it seems like there's more veteran stuff there more of that old school feel than you think. The other thing that Moriarty mentioned is that 2K are also uh, publishing Ken Levine's new game. He was obviously the original creative director, the original mastermind uh, of One and Infinite. Uh, and Moriarty says that the team are very much aware that um, they are being directly compared to whatever Ken Levine does next. Um, and the fact that 2K are publishing both those games um, yeah. is kind of tragically hilarious. But what do you think of all this? Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot of fascinating information there. The thing mm. that made me uh, swoon a little bit is the fact that it's coming out in 2022. That seems in sooner theory. than I expected. Like, considering we've we've seen nothing from it at the time <laughs> of this recording, maybe we get something at the Game Awards. You know, we've only had a, a basic press release announcing the game. That seems incredibly soon. But, you know, yes. if, it's, if it's ready to go, it's ready to go. I like the idea of it running alongside, you know, concurrently with, I think, you know, I'm pretty sure like it's like the Rapture at that same time and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see how it ties in. Oh, yeah. Part of me thinks, though like we, we talk about this every single time we bring up bioshock because you just can't get past it you know mm. bioshock infinite kind of blew the entire formula of the series up you know there's always a dude there's always a lighthouse there's <laughs> infinite literally infinite possibilities when oh, it comes to city. stories mm-hmm. so part of me kind of thinks like if you're going to do something just just go with that don't have it all linked just be like here's a version of that oh that's story. completely different yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's kind of, yeah it's completely different he's a, he's a version of it we're just going to go with it because mm. you can still do interesting stories within that framework like not everything in the series has to be connected or a big meta um you know dissection of narratives in mm. games and stuff you can just have a good story mm-hmm. and that's sometimes enough but obviously <laughs> I'll, I'll be i'll wait to see some official things from the it thing what's, what's like- about that's curious is that obviously Bioshock 1, you know, for a lot of people's favorite of the trilogy, like two, like kind of the, kind of like the, the overlooked, like, you know, your mate who likes Bioshock is always saying, go play two, you probably should. <laughs> and then Infinite was like a weird mix. That's isn't it? That is largely Jules, although I think yeah. he, I think he, I think he likes two. I forget which one he hates. But then Infinite is the one that was sort of a bit of a mixed bag, looks gorgeous, but it was a bit all over the place. And the ending, like you said, it brings in this whole infinite, like, you know, acknowledgement of what I took to be Ken Levine just saying like, well, this is my last one. Um, my public is very much going to take and run run, run with this and um, so this is my comment on this can go on forever but these are the this is the main thing um, and I feel like like you said it's like it does set up an infinite number of sequels um, but it's always that thing where the original Bioshock the original Rapture was always the go-to either it's iconography or it's the original setting that people like the most because Bioshock Infinite then got all the um, I forget what it's called Under the Sea DLC and um, there's a whole bunch of DLC where you return oh, to Rapture yes. you get to see yes, yes, yes. Um, you know various states of Rapture after the events of the first game uh, I think it's after anyway either way you return to rapture um mm-hmm. and i wonder like you said of setting something in the 60s and it's an antarctic city it's borealis but it is connected to the old bioshocks does rapture just make another return because that's an easy thing to tap back into like is that just something that is rapture bioshock basically or can we actually break free of it altogether is there always going to be something <sighs> that takes you back to rapture over and over and over again I, I hope not. I, I, <laughs> I love Rapture as much as anyone else, but we've had two games there. And like you said, we've had the DLC and the DLC especially rounded off that story so nicely mm. for me and connected it to Infinite way more explicitly than it was in the main game. And I'm mm. like, that's awesome. I will take more games set in that 
area, that environment, that world. It's so rich. There are so many good characters there. But at the same time, if we've waited this long for a new Bioshock game, like I just, I just want to see them do something new. I want to, mm. this franchise to be um, about reinvention, about imagination, about creativity. I don't want it to become another series that's just doing what it's known for because Same. people really like Rapture, but that's that's safe. And this, this this series has never really been safe. No, I mean I think that's the thing, but it, it was it wasn't safe because of Levine. Like obviously two was like a weird sort of addendum to one, and like obviously two's DLC people talk about quite a lot. And um, but then when he came back in Infinite, it was like you could tell that it had a level of narrative weight or a level of narrative experimentation that wasn't there in two, just because you do have that auteur at the at the head of it. Um, and I wonder what it's been like the literal development process of making another Bioshock with the veteran teams or the team members who were there um, at the time, but without the guy that they were going to going like, is this right? Is this what you want? Is this the right? Thing? Thing. like it's, they don't have they don't have their kojima they don't have their levine anymore and uh, and that's a very curious thing but yeah i mean we can pivot into uh, the game award stuff because like i said keely is teasing a, a huge reveal and he's been he's been tweeting his ass off left right and center every <laughs> single little tweet do, do you know the game awards is coming i've got the game awards coming hey by the way game awards coming um left right and center so um i, I wanted to like pivot a bit into this and talk about use it as a way to talk about um the way the game awards gets talked about in the wider uh, discussion amongst gaming because do you think that the game awards has a problem with being being more about the reveals than the game awards and the celebration of the gaming industry as a set of talent overall. I don't personally necessarily think that. I'm just broaching it as a wider question. I do see this come up every year though, um, that Keeley is sort of slowly turning the game awards into E3 and it's less about actually celebrating the artists, the coders, the different teams that brought these games together, which you could argue is what a game awards show should be. Uh, that's a fascinating question, that's got oh, I, I wasn't I wasn't expecting that when we when we booted up the old podcast suite today, but it's, it's a great Winding question. up. And one that I do have some opinions about, you know, mm. when it comes to the, the game awards, especially when, you know, years ago when it was just getting started and like I was just, just a mere fan of it. Um, it was definitely more before, we had, all, before the... we had old Jeff in the DMs before we had big, big <laughs> Jeff going, "Hey, do you want to do you want to vote on stuff?" And we're like, "Yeah, yeah. mate, yeah." It's it's because it's it's exactly what you said in a way. Sometimes there is an issue with the presentation of it because I just assumed that it was more about the presentations, more about the mm. reveals. That's the thing I would look forward to. I'd wake up the next day, go on Twitter, see what was announced, like look for those big games. And I think it's kind of like strangely marketed as as like it's it's marketed as both. You know, it yep. wants to be the Oscars of video games, but it also wants to be E3. And I think in a year where E3 has lost more relevance than ever, and we've had fewer of these award ceremonies, like people are looking towards the game awards even more so mm -hmm. to be this hub of announcements, this hub of <clears throat> reveals and stuff. And I think you know it's got it's got the length surely to to be both. It's just. It's it's such a strange show, and I don't mean that like <laughs> negatively. It's just it, like no other industry meshes these things together in this way, which makes no. it unique and weird, but also kind of like this weird experimental thing. So well, um, I, I I don't know to be honest. I think there's a lot of people who view it just as this announcement's hub, but then there are people obviously you know who look forward to the speeches, who look forward to the categories, who look forward to seeing these creatives get their you know due. Yeah, man. Well, if you, any side chat, any live chat, where, as it's rolling out on YouTube or anyone's channel or whatever, we'll tell you there's people just typing out the word boring or F <laughs> over and over again until they get whatever reveal they're waiting for. And if that doesn't come, then they're all disappointed. But like the thing that stands out to me in regards to the way that he tries to differentiate awards from um, the reveals is that you'll come back after an ad break or you'll come back after a teaser and he'll just say, hey, by the way, this category was decided uh, underneath, like uh, to the side. And hey, this person won this and 
congratulations to them. Okay, next up, we've got a reveal from this. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. that's the that's the exact pivot point where you're you're tipping in the favor of the reveals and you're tipping in for in the favor uh, of the easier access to, you know, people's eyeballs on this thing, which is yeah. valid. I think, like you said, the fact that no other industry does it this way is what makes it really valuable. Um, like I probably would, maybe one of the ways, for example, to pivot into the Oscars, maybe one of the ways that they get people more revitalized is you save your big film reveals for the Oscars or you save the, the big talking points for that. I know it's a different medium, obviously, but well, like, yeah, yeah. you know, Oscars reported their lowest viewer numbers ever or something for the last, I mean, I didn't even know the ceremony had happened until after it was done, <laughs> but um, stuff like that. And I, I wonder, is that like a way to approach a hybridized award ceremony is that you do have a healthy amount of announcements alongside, um, yeah. but you can't, for me, you shouldn't take away from those teams day in the sun. Like they get nominated, they get their emails, they have the likes of us requesting codes. We can make sure we're caught up and playing the, the latest games and everything. And then on the night, they get a banner along the bottom of the screen saying, hey, by the way, someone else won. Or, hey, by the way, you won. Your award's in yeah. the post and that's it. Like, I just, I think there's a better way to pay off that side of it. Yeah, it's all, I mean, it, it's tricky. I'm definitely not saying the Oscars are an aspirational thing because, you know, no. I watched that I mean, show and I'm incredibly bored for most of it. You know, it's not fun. It's but very if they had a Spider-Man trailer times. in there, I'm, you know, I don't no, know. no, I'm not even going to say that. But, I, but what I will say about the Oscars is that, you know, even if a lot of people kind of like dismiss it every year and stuff, it still holds a level of, you know, cultural weight. If something yeah. gets announced for those categories if something wins those categories you know it 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 changes how those films are viewed Mm. and i do want to get to a place where we have the game awards or whatever occupy that same space of prestige where games can go there and get recognized both big games like god of war and smaller games like sable you know in Mm -hmm. winning means something winning is valued as something it's not just valued as five minutes before we get to the next big yes. reveal or whatever you know the oscars even has its own problem with um and having um sorry having uh winners sorry? be announced during ad breaks or not being ah, shown yeah. on the live broadcast and stuff so you know even if they took the ads out of the game awards that would probably still happen but yeah i do, do think they need to just kind of kind of decide what it wants to be because it's mm-hmm. just trying to be everything at the moment and that's cool and that's noble but i wonder whether we get to a point where these things are quite oppositional maybe even exclusive to have this big hype marketing machine alongside this supposedly sincere you know just celebration of games in general well that's that's the the the, i was gonna say innocence but the 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 reality of that is also a massive hook for me like i want to know what every like a body of critics or a body of whatever judges they've got um think is the game of the year just as a as a as a question as a statement as a talking point i want to know what that is um and that is divorced from a marketing team doing their best to to hype up the next release i think that those things are just they're just so diametrically opposed i think they can both exist together because it's just it's just cool seeing some reveals while you're also being served up some awards and people are taking away awards and doing victory speeches and whatever um but i think it needs to get the balance right and i think that it is a, a valid sort of talking point that increasingly emerges over the years um because it's not like jeff Keighley hasn't given into this stuff before not that the dorito pope stuff should haunt him for the rest of his days but he has done this stuff before um and i'm sure it was at the game awards in 2014 or 15 uh, I might be going too far back, but he had that big Mr. Gillette man. It was just walking around as a big razor, and he just had like a big, <laughs> I big razor head is, walking that's around. Some bells, that. yeah. David Lynch nowhere in sight, but uh, he was he was walking <laughs> around, and that was the thing because they kept stopping to be like, "Oh, let's get a word from such and such," and it would like cut to him, and he would interview someone, this giant razor head man, um, talking about sponsors, and it's like there, there again, you've pivoted the wrong way. You've gone, yeah. you've gone too far down the uh, down the sponsorship route, and I get that it greases the old palms, but you need to get the balance right. 
Um, we should end the Game Awards conversation, though, by saying or asking, what is your game of the year from the six that are in here? What do you think is actually going to win? It's between Deathloop, It Takes Two, Metroid Dread, Psychonauts 2, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, and Resident Evil Village. What do you think is actually going to win? Man, like, like, what do I think is going to win, or what yeah. is my... Well, what both, I, I guess. What do you what do you think the, the body of critics will have voted for? We'll also clarify that uh, I mentioned Jeff in the old DMs before. We voted last year, and we are still yes. on the jury panel as of the Video Game Awards website, but we ain't judging this year. Big, big Jeff didn't get in touch at all. So, we'll, so maybe we, can we'll do, we can just do it now. Hey. We can just do it now. Um, I, I think, you know, I think Metroid Dread might win because it's such... Mm. Uh, oh, <laughs> I think it's a, it's like we've got two critical darlings here, don't we? We've got yes. Deathloop and we've got Metroid Dread. I would say I three. Think... I would say it takes two is very high. Right. Oh, like critically, okay. like that, that thing the... reviewed very, yeah. very well. Yeah. That is true. I don't know. For, for me, I sort of view it as like a, a La La Land um, Moonlight <laughs> sort of thing where Deathloop almost seems like the La La Land and we've got uh, Metroid Dread as the, the Moonlight. And whilst Ooh. this big thing was in front... I feel like that's almost become so obvious that people will go, you know what, Metroid Dread, that's the one. That's the God, thing that I would wins. not have said Deathloop is the La La Land. To me, Resident Evil Village is the La La Land. Like the, the go-to, Ooh. everyone's seen it, everyone loves it, everyone has opinions on it. Resident Evil is the most widespread of these, I would say, um, especially compared to Psychonauts 2. It takes two, you fundamentally need someone else in person to get through it, because you can play it online, but you need someone else to play through it. Um, Deathloop, for me, is the Moonlight. It's the it's the critically revered... Because it's no Deathloop's not as widely played as a Resident evil like at all no well no but i wouldn't even have resident evil in there necessarily for me no, resident evil is like the <laughs> mad max fury road of the nominations <laughs> where it's like that's the one people love that's what yeah. people want to win but it's not like the critical darling the front runner in the same mm. way that the other two were it's not getting 10 out of 10s across the no. board like you know deathly did that's what, that's what i mean i don't mean in terms of like popularity or mainstream reach i uh, mean in okay. terms of like um, just the sheer amount of praise and the amount of like you know articles I've been reading. When I think about though that comparison for that yeah, when it was La La Land and Moonlight, it's like La La Land is the thing that everyone's seen. Moonlight is the thing you need to get round to that your mate who loves films keeps telling you to watch, and you'll get there <laughs> eventually because it's on the Oscar list. But I think in regards to this, um, it might be. I hope it's Metro Dread for me. That's the most solid of the of all of them. But I also think that it could actually go to It Takes Two. I feel like um, Joseph Farris is on a really phenomenal upswing right now. I feel like he's kind of just gone from strength to strength um, and as much as like i said it takes two wouldn't be my number one you almost can't find a fault with that game like if you yeah. were literally gonna hold it up and go okay what does it strive for what does it actually not hit it absolutely smashes everything like it's it's ridiculously proficient from from that team and from ea publishing and to have so much of an individual creator coming through in that game as well no i totally agree i wouldn't even i wouldn't be annoyed at any of those three Winning it, I would mm. like to see Resident Evil Village win it, but I don't think it's going to. Um, <laughs> stuff like Ratchet and Clank for me is it's a good game, but it's not strong enough to be <laughs> in that n- nomination list when others perhaps deserve it more. So mm. for me, yeah, if it's if it's it takes two, if it's Deathloop, if it's Metroid Dread, any of those, I'd be like, I can see why we've got here. I think you deserve it. Well, are there any all, that all you around. don't want to win? Which I threw in as an addendum question for the sheer lols of it, because I don't um, want Deathloop to win. That's my side. <laughs> it's, 
Oh, see, it's it's harsh. I feel like I'm being harsh on a really good four star game, but it's Ratchet and Clank just because mm. that would make me feel out of the loop. <laughs> like if that one, <laughs> I wouldn't understand it because I'd be like, "There's something wrong with me." Then I'd be like, "What? Am, what did I miss from but I guess that that's game that like everyone the, loves so much?" The, but I mean, I adore Ratchet and Clank. I think that's for me. That is the it takes two thing. It's like hold Ratchet and Clank up. What does it not hit? Like you can say like, okay, it didn't do anything that much new, yeah. but I would say, well, the loading techniques, the way that they do like, design the levels around the SSD is really, really cool. But like, yeah, that might be the one that's too safe a bet potentially. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think, yeah, especially compared to the other things, which, which take more risks, even mm. if they don't necessarily pay off and in as polished ways, you know, you've got death loops, entire gimmick. You've got the, the writing side of it. You've got, I mean, it takes two with the entire structure of that game and how many different genres it packs in. And then you've got Metroid Dread. <laughs> being this kind of like you know throwback but not you know pristine and modernizing everything five yeah. yeah modernizing um an older kind of series i suppose so mm -hmm. for me they do they have an added edge that ratchet and clank doesn't because mm. because again ratchet and clank is really good but i can't get i can't get beyond really good and that's not right. necessarily a bad thing just when we're no. talking in terms of final awards well i think that will be my thing for resident evil like i i played yeah. village and it was tight but i was like i mean we've talked about this so much but yeah there's parts of it that disappoint me that disappointed me there's parts of it where i wish there was more to it there's i wish lady dimitress was in that more than the opening 20 minutes um and stuff like that but yeah i, I like the fact that we don't have a, a clear-cut winner i like the fact yeah. that we don't know who's actually going to win that always makes it more interesting on the night um and by the time actually we'll be pre-recording next week's windup which will go up after the game awards so um we might not even wait on the game awards because i think you might be away to visit mr chris well, kringle by then it well i, I don't want to i don't want to jinx it it depends mm. how much work i have to do on monday but i'm in on monday so we might be able to oh, get okay. one more live one before the pre-records come out so right, maybe right. maybe I, i'll make a half promise right now good we will see how we go and um, but yes thanks everybody for listening I, i've been scott tilford joined by josh brown always a pleasure scott always a pleasure this has been a pleasure pleasure beach this has been pleasure. a wind up and we'll catch you next time bye, bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrir. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us.